Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Welcome to Earned, everyone. Uh, Today, we are going to learn from one of the masterminds behind one of the largest influencer operations on the globe, uh, Toto Haba. Uh, Welcome to the show, Toto. Thanks, Connor. Excited to be here. So to give you an idea of how much of a badass Toto and Benefit are, uh, (laughs) over the last seven years, Toto's helped to build an influencer empire. Uh, So they are currently the number four brand we track in the US when it comes to EMV, the number three in the UK, and the number one in France as of August, as well as the number one brand by sales, according to NPD, uh, in the recent couple months. So congrats on all the success there. And I think the the quote I found about you that I really liked was uh, Toto is in a league of his own as a true Renaissance man and miracle worker. Um, <laughs> wow, you, you're gonna have to thank my mom for that one. That, that's, that's that's a great quote. Wasn't your mom? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so really excited to have you. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and kick it off, Toto. I'd love to do something. You know, obviously we're six months into COVID now. And I know that it's had a pretty severe negative impact on most uh, brands, particularly in the pres- prestige space, where Sephora and Ulta had to shut down their physical presence. Um, but you guys have been one of the best performing brands during that time. Um, talk to me about what, you know, what do you attribute that success to? Yeah, it's a great question. And it has been a particularly hard market for makeup in particular, you know, skincare and fragrance are still hanging um, uh, tough throughout the, the um, COVID. But for benefit, I think it starts with first and foremost, I think our product classes do well with with a masked world, right? So it's a focus on your eye area. So, you know, our brow products and our mascara products, those are our two biggest categories that we have. So um, uh, I think that has played to us really well. Brands that have relied a lot on lip or, you know, our full foundation are having a harder time, you know, in this new world. So I think that's probably the first thing that's helped us. I'd say the other thing that's really helped us is, um, you know, Benefit historically has always focused on improving our online sales holistically and not just our e-commerce sites, but our e-tail partners as well. So we've Mm. been building a, a, a practice over these past several years about deepening our relationships with those those peer players and those partners, making sure we have the right distribution worldwide so that when that shift happened online, we were already there. We were in the places people were shopping at. And I think we benefited tremendously from that. I mean, that's, yeah, that had to give you a huge upper hand because I think with those brands, right, like it's tough to be benefit, but it's really tough to be Sephora. Like yeah. that's, you know, that's <laughs> tough. I guess your whole business or, you know, the vast majority of it. Um, how how much of your, like, if you can disclose, like what percent of your sales did actually end up coming from some combination of online resources now that you're, you're kind of mid COVID? Oh, I mean, it really varied, you know, during the more severe lockdowns to where we are right now, but at, you know, over 50% of our business at one point was online, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that sounds impressive, but it's really, it was the cratering of brick and mortar <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> that made it look so good. So our penetration targets I had at the start of the year, we blew past those, but I, I can't really champion that because it was at the expense of our other business, but it, it was a significant part and we see it um, uh, maintaining at least a good chunk of it um, going into 21 as well. Yeah, that's, uh, you want to, cause champion the success there. Cause I guess, you know, digital is, is your, in your heart, but, uh, yeah, when it comes at the expense of the whole business, yeah. um, but again, you guys are doing great, honestly, yeah. uh, through it all, throughout it all. So both in terms of what we track in NPD and otherwise, yeah. um, okay. So let's take a step back and talk about your background a little bit. Um, so you went to UC Santa Cruz, studied studio arts. Yeah. And then went into technology and consulting. Yeah. Talk to me about how you went from studio arts to technology and consulting. I mean, I, I was another art student, you know, graduating. Like, what the heck do I do with my life now? So uh, fortunately for me, I landed a job doing visual design for, you know, a startup that just made websites, you know, back in the day. And um, it was all brand new at the time. And, you know, no one knew what they were doing. Um so I started doing design for them. I, if you can believe it, I actually 
created the first set of icons used on Bank of America's website way back in the day. Um, you know, with, with this, the um, uh, limited means that we had. HTML 2.0 just came out at the time, and it was like, oh my god, tables and our layouts. It was amazing. So I, I ended up picking up coding. I ended up just picking up everything. And looking back on it, I was so lucky to be at the birth of an industry because you just get to know everything and you get to try your hand at everything as well. So that's kind of how I tumbled into it. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be really nice to see it kind of from the ground up. I feel like, you know, back then, like you said, it's like just the beginning of the internet in a lot of ways. Yeah, and so for sure. yeah. it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed very much luckily since then. So, uh, you know, it's been like a pretty, <laughs> Pretty but, easy job. But, you know what, Connor? It doesn't feel like it's changed in the sense that I still don't really know what I'm doing. I'm making it up as I go along anyways, right? So it's like everything is so new all the time. And for the people who love this industry, that's what you love about it. It's addictive, right? There's always yeah. something new. You're always learning something different. And it, it's fun. I remember there's some stat. I'm going to misquote it. But it was like in the last five years, there's been more information created than in all of humanity previously. <laughs> yeah. It's something like that, right? Yeah. It's, just, it's just growing at such a rapid pace because everybody can be a publisher. Everybody can create content. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just pretty wild. So then, okay, so then you went into the kind of agency side of the business with organic um, and rose up the rankings there. Um, you know, tell me what were some of your learnings from working on the agency side? Uh, what were some of the, the things that you took with you? Yeah, I mean, I loved my time at Organic, and I learned so many things from that. I mean, it was um, in between actually working in the internet startup. Um, I actually the dot com bust happened, and I ran off to one of my other one of my clients. It was a pharmaceutical company. I ran an e commerce shop, you know, for them for mm. a long time. So I really got to know the the nuts and bolts of that business. So going back into advertising really allowed me to um, uh, get back to my roots in terms of like consulting and working on a lot of different industries and brands. So I really liked that aspect of working in advertising and they were some of the smartest people I've ever worked with, you know, I found in advertising. So I, I would say, you know, the, the things that I really took away were a couple things. One was just my deep appreciation for how powerful good creative is. You know, I mean, you can have the, the worst media plan, the worst strategy, the worst everything. But if you have great creative, you can often overcome it. But you flip that on the side and you can, you know, if you have the best strategy, the best media and the best everything. And if your creative is stupid, then it just all falls apart. So, I mean, I, I you know, a respect for the power of creative and how to actually make that creative work, you know, working with, you know, those sort of. Um, uh, individuals was probably the, the thing I um, took away most, you know, from working in advertising, learning how to talk to your creative, how to give critiques, you know, do all that sort of stuff. I think that was invaluable um, uh, for the position I have now. Um, also, I, I, I'll also say it's just, I also got an appreciation for just being able to do anything quickly and pivot on a dime, you know, agency life, it's so fast paced and client demands are changing left and right and you're working on a couple of clients. So the ability just to um, quickly pivot, um, I thought was really valuable for me to have there as well, because um, in, today world, in today's world, you know, first mover advantage um, really matters sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, so going back to this idea of creative, I think that um, <laughs> I, I was on TikTok yesterday i get sent a link there's this hilarious video it's a guy riding a skateboard listening to music drinking like a giant thing of cranberry juice and i'll describe it it's just very like peaceful yeah. it was like an interesting thing but then i look at his videos and it's like that video got 10 million views holy cow but every every other video got like 20,000 20,000 30,000 50,000 and be like one out of every 10 one out of every 20 would be a hit yeah but then the other 80 to 85 percent would just be you know yeah just a yeah. miss yeah um, so, which I think I, I listened to one of your other interviews and you said that that's actually the target you guys kind of go for, right? Is like this 75, 25 mix in terms of failures to successes. Uh, is that, is that something you think you guys think about a lot? It is, you know, in for, uh, at benefit, you know, I, I start the year setting off some global priorities for the team and, and just the way I'm wired, I always try to set a specific KPI on whether or not we're reaching, you know, that objective. And for the innovation objective that we have, the, the broad goal I set was we have to be failing 75% of the time in order to be yeah. successful for that and, and succeeding just 25 be, with the thought that if you're not failing enough, you're not trying to reach 
high enough. Um, and I also just wanted to try to instill a culture of being okay to talk about our failures um, as a company, because I know sometimes when you work on an international role, people just like to tell you about their successes, you know, that they have yeah. and not be as yeah. open to the failure. So, um, so uh, that's one of the reasons I did that. I mean, one of the things that's nice about failures, like you said, you learn from them, right? So that's the whole point is you like try something you're like, wait, okay, this didn't work, but maybe if I change this part of it, this part of it will work. Like it's, uh, you don't want to ignore those. Yeah, for sure. You almost learn more from your failures if you're honest about it, right? Um, and a lot of the, the successes that you read about in PR or case studies go under the covers. A lot of it's smoke and mirrors. I mean, I've done it myself, right? You know, I've gotten rid of, written up for a great success story that we had, but, you know, it was done on shoestring and, you know, you know, tape and, you know, it was kind of a success if you squint at it, but, um, but, you know, the failures that we had and the learnings were even more valuable for the next activation. Yeah. I mean, it actually reminds me a little bit of what your comment was on the, like, why have we been successful? It's like, well, we're in categories that are successful right now. Yeah, like yeah. it's luck. Like part of this is just luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, totally. Well, let's, okay, let's get back to your background. So, you know, so you leave the agency, you go into benefit, which is a big transition. And I remember, you know, in the interview, you said that one of the big problems that you ran into with the agency was like just the nature of the agency model, which is you, you know, every time you lose a client, you have to let everybody go. And every time <laughs> you hire a client, you have to hire everybody up. Um, you know, what were, what was some of the appeal of benefit when you, when you came over? Oh my gosh, there were so many appeals about benefit. I mean, and it wasn't obvious when I first took the phone call. So I got a call from Valerie, Valerie Hecka, mm -hmm. who is my, um, old boss. She is the chief digital officer for Parfums and Cosmetics, um, for L, um, LVMH right now. And she told me about the company. It was interesting kind of put the phone down and I was like, I talked to my wife. I was like, you know, I don't know about this. I don't, you know, I've worked on makeup clients before, but it's not really my, my category. And, and she just puts her hands down on the table and she was like, you, you, you gotta think about this. I mean, this is a brand that is, you know, really, really very different. And the more I learned about benefit and I more, I learned about like the unconventional approach that they take towards marketing and just, you know, we have a gift as a brand um, with um, with our founders and the tagline that they created, laughter is the best cosmetic. I think it's the best position of any makeup company in the market. And um, what it does as a marketer, it gives you freedom to try. It gives you freedom to fail. It gives you freedom to try to make people laugh. And, you know, it, as a marketer who had to slave away on selling insurance or, you know, selling, you know, adult diapers or selling, you know, all the crazy random stuff that like paid the bills to actually work on a brand that actually was, um, produced fun marketing, um, was a gift. So that was first and foremost. And then I was really interested about the international aspect of the role as well. You know, I've worked on international clients in the past. I've always really enjoyed learning about other cultures. So, um, knowing I'd be in a global role was really interesting to me. And then my, um, and then just Valerie, I just kind of adore her and working with her. So that kind of sealed the deal. That's, uh, I can see why it was attractive. <laughs> um, I think that's actually one of the things I think is ironic about the agency world is, you know, it attracts all these creative people, but then they end up working on like Lenovo. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. there's not very much to talk about here, right? Like, yeah. what do we, like the brands, like the brands where marketing and storytelling is like core to the success of the company, like those are in house roles. Like, those aren't, they're not, like, benefits not hiring an agency to determine what their brand positioning should be. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And so um, it's one of the weird ironies about agencies, like, the, you know, they bring all these creative people in, but then they just work on like Amex. No, no offense against American yeah, yeah. Express. It's like, or it's like card, you know? sell this like home loan package, you know, that, you know, Bank of America yeah. does. But, and it's just like, get, and they get really creative doing it. I mean, God bless their souls. Um, yeah. but, um, I just, it sounds hard. I don't know. But yeah, you live for the, those um, uh, fun consumer brand clients. So, you know, being, having a chance just to work on a fun consumer brand client all the time. Yeah. Super appealing. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about the international a little bit. I mean, most people, um, that are going to listen to this podcast or just most people in the world don't have experiences, uh, internationally in that way, right? Particularly from a marketing perspective, we're understanding like the psychology of the market, understanding what consumers want and they don't want is just so important. I know that you said you rely heavily on the local teams yeah. in terms of your success. 
Um, but what are some of the other lessons that you've learned uh, in working through these international markets? What are some of the things that have stuck with you that you really kind of have latched on to? You know, a, a couple things. I mean, definitely, you know, working with the local markets, I think building a team that has creative freeway to um, um, uh, express the brand and just to push the bounds, you know, I think has been so rewarding for me, you know, working um, at Benefit. Um, uh, I say this to people all the time when they ask me, why does Benefit have like, you know, 26 different Instagram handles rather than, you know, just one core one as a brand. And I tell them it's because laughter is the best cosmetic and I don't know how to be funny in China. I don't know how to be funny <laughs> in Brazil. I don't know how to be funny in all these other places. So you have to, you know, you know, for a brand like us, you really need local people who understand their local customers to uh, push the boundaries and, you know, bring the brand to life. So, um, that's what I've really loved about this. But then I've also gotten uh, a real appreciation, I think, on um, just how um, complicated, you know, the um, uh, uh, Internet environment is right now to see it evolving the way it is, to see it getting, you know, first it got, you know, completely segregated with China, like, you know, balkanized different platforms, different networks and whatnot, and yeah. seeing where privacy is headed now and how it's still like splitting apart you know, the internet, it's just, it's for me, you know, again, I go back to just being a, a curious person by nature. It's endlessly fascinating to see kind of where this is, is going to go. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, China is such a, like, I know a little bit about it and I've spent a little bit of time thinking about it, but it's like, it, it, it holds endless curiosity for me too, because it's just so different, right? Yeah. Like it's such a different approach from the ground up yeah. that it's like fascinating. It's like watching another ecosystem evolve, right? And saying like, wow, that's a really, finding a weird island where all the animals are three times the size. I mean, like what yeah. is happening over there? Like how did this occur? <laughs> it's oh, like three Aust times littler, right? It's like <laughs> the Australia of like the internet, right? I mean, all the like the animals evolve there, like on their own and like they're taken on into different forms. Yeah, it's wild. I, I throw, you know, Korea is getting like that too now, Connor. You know, their home yeah, yeah. cacao and neighbor. I mean, that's it's it's uh, uh, it's totally wild. Yeah. So, so for those people that want to get to the role that you're in now, right? Which is you kind of oversee all of you know digital PR, creative, etc. Um, as a you know as a senior vice president, a very big brand. Like, walk me through what what is a day in your life like? Like, how do you spend each day? <laughs> It's pretty varied, as you can imagine, you know, focusing on, on different things. But if I had to, like, normalize it into, like, a, a normal day, I'll spend, you know, part of my time on the creative side of the business, mm -hmm. you know, reviewing, you know, briefs, reviewing, you know, rough cuts of advertising assets or photography or model casting that we're doing just to make sure um, we have a broad alignment on kind of the objectives that we have. I spend another big part of my day, you know, with our e-tail team, you know, really evaluating, doing things like evaluating new channel partners, you know, um, whether or not we should open up with this peer player or not, doing that analysis with the local countries to see if, um, you know, adding another channel is going to cannibalize their business or is actually going to be net new um, uh, um, uh, revenue into the mix. Spent some of my time, you know, with my um, with my e-commerce team. We just relaunched our website, so that was a huge effort, you know, for the team for the past nine months. And then uh, another big chunk of my time working on budgets and um, uh, HR stuff. To be honest, I mean, it's you know, yep. as a leader of about fifty some people, um, it is uh, never ending. You know, the amount of and you can attest to this, Connor. I mean, you don't totally. spend all your time doing. You know, these podcasts, a lot of the times it's just dealing with HR <laughs> and, and, and well, making sure you can pay the bills and hit your budget, right? So, <laughs> well, the nice part is, I don't know if I should admit this, but John now is in charge of most of that, uh, most awesome. of the internal operations. Nice. So I'm like all external all the time, which is actually <laughs> where I feel best. Nice. Um, I mean, I still obviously interact with the team a lot and we work yeah, together yeah, yeah. a lot on different things, but he's managing most of that, uh, those components, which has been like, God's uh, been. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, yeah. So talk to me about, so you talked about e-tail. So for those people that are looking to expand internationally, um, are there particular digital retailers that you think are just doing a great job right now that you're like, hey, I would, if you can get in here, like go for it. Oh um, my gosh. Anybody like that? Uh, there are um, a couple, I think, are, are doing 
uh, some really interesting things. Obviously, if you know Chinese, get into China. I mean, do work on Tmall. I mean, that that um, uh, business is a monster, and it will continue to grow for the foreseeable future. And they are really at the leading edge of where uh, retail is going to go um, in the future. I throw the same thing in there for WeChat, you know, um, uh, for China as well. Um, um, you know, I'll stay in China. It's uh, <laughs> it's such an interesting market in that there's so many new business models being developed right now. Um, you know, one of the, the questions I get asked a lot is like, what other sort of brand do I like look at, you know, and admire for like their influencer work um, outside of benefit? And there's a lot, there's a lot, you know, that we take from different people. But the one I'm admiring the most right now is this Chinese brand called Perfect Diary. And, you know, um, it's a local Chinese brand. It's mass. But their approach towards influencer management is so unbelievable. They actually have, Connor, if you can believe this, 200 people managing influencers, 200 employees managing influencers um, at Perfect Diary. And each one of those employees is managing, like, a, a, a private WeChat groups of, you know, of, of customers and micro-influencers. And they're direct yep. selling, you know, with this group of, of people. But at the same time, they're building this army of uh, brand advocates that has just skyrocketed, you know, their market share. They're like number one on Team All Now. They're the most mentioned brand on Red. <laughs> and just the fact that, you know, they went all in on such an unconventional way to do influencer management what blew my mind, you know, and it just yep. was like, you know, don't, um, don't always, um, accept, you know, what everyone else is doing as the right way, you know, um, uh, think about it different for your brand if it's the right thing. So, um, so I would say definitely if you're new and international, um, get into the China market. Once you crack that nut, every international brand is going to want to, want to. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big one. We, yeah. we definitely have one of our client partners who is having, you know, they mid COVID, they were panicked, right? Launched in China and it's now like 60% of their business. And it was like, Whoa, like what happened there? Um, and so, and I think getting back to the perfect diary, I've been hearing about them for a while and it's, you know, I was, I was meeting with a brand the other day. That's one of the best known brands in the world. And, you know, they had had in the last year, they've had 23,000 influencers talk about them just in the U.S. And they've got a team of three people managing that. And it's like, <laughs> that's going to be tough. Like, that's going to be that's a big ticket. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, you know, and so and, and again, in the U.S., smaller examples, but like, you know, ColourPop, Fashion Nova, who we've both been working with for a long time, they've got like 20 to 30 people that are managing not just influencers, but influencers in social, which is just, it dwarfs the size of even some of these very big brands. Yeah. Um, and I know you guys have been one of the early movers from an investment perspective in terms of teams, both globally and domestically. So yeah. I'm sure that's had a big contribution to your guys' success, although you probably don't have 200 yet. No. Uh, but maybe that's, I this wish. is how you get that's, there. That's this is how you get there. One day. <laughs> Um, uh, but no, I mean, we have a pretty big, a pretty big group, you know, one of the things that Benefit relies on from, um, uh, a management standpoint is we have local digital people managing those influencer relationships in virtually yep. every market we're in. So 40, we're in 50 plus markets, but probably in about 40, some of those countries, we either have a person or a halftime person managing those influencer, uh, relationships. So total that all up. And then plus the global office, you know, we probably have, 50, you know, 60 people, yeah. you know, managing influencers worldwide. So, um, 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 uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fair number of people and you need it, you know, in order to, if you really want to scale the program. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's showing in the results for you guys. So, um, so talk to me a little bit, we're on the kind of topic of influencer marketing and knowing that you guys are one of the earliest movers into this space. You know, what, how have you seen it evolve over the last call it five to six years, seven years, like what, what's changed from your early days to today? Oh my God. We could go on and on for this forever. I mean, we were way back in the day of like the early YouTubers of the Michelles and, you know, the, the Mac Barbies or Bethany, you know, Bethany Moda, you know, all of those people way back in the day. I remember us, our, our PR lead in the U.S. Um, threw a barbecue for Bethany's dad you know, one time because they're just up in the North Bay at Santa Rosa, you know, it's just to build yeah. that relationship. So, I mean, it, that's kind of where we started on and they were just growing and it's, it was so fascinating to see because these were literally people 
who had no intentions of being influencers, right? You know, they started making videos because that was their passion. And, you know, they got an audience because they were relatable. And it, it just, it kind of grew uh, um, uh, out of nothing. So, um, yeah. you know, having, working with those people and then like learning what influencers and the power that they really have to move consumer, you know, interest in things was really exhilarating at the time. And then, you know, that started to mature, Instagram came on, and then you started to see this huge influx of makeup artists and, you know, um, uh, uh, to be honest, a more diverse cast, you know, uh, yeah, of influencers, yeah. you know, entering the space. And then now with today, you know, TikTok and, you know, the other channels, it is um, uh, turning another page, I'd say, um, uh, in, in, in very many ways. So, I mean, so what I'm describing is really just, you know, uh, um, uh, an explosion of creative, you know, I think yep. as we've, as we've gone on from the start of it to where we are now, just um, the fact that, you know, everyone has access to a phone, everyone has access to a social network, everyone can be a creator if they want to be a creator, you're seeing just, you know, a complete fragmentation of the market in terms of um, uh, your choices uh, as a consumer and the platforms are so good at tailoring your algorithm, their algorithms to your taste that you're starting to see just a ton of niche communities rise up, mm -hmm. you know, uh, within the influencer space. So I would say that's how it's changed um, uh, very much. And then it also became like a real business. You know, people are really trying yeah. to make their careers out of this. And I think that's the other big change is, you know, um, running like you're running a small business as, as a creator, you know, um, in, in many aspects. And that introduces all sorts of other challenges to you as a person. And you're not just filming something in your bedroom, you know, to have fun. You're actually studying SEO to try to figure out what people you know want to watch. And you're, yeah. you're, you're, you know, you're doing all your content for that. So, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, it's completely flipped in that regard. I mean, what's fascinating about that from like a tools provider perspective, right? So I think historically, almost all the tools have been built for brands, companies, et cetera. Um, and you've had this new entrepreneur that's emerged that needs a totally different tool set in order to do their job. And it's like, we met this woman in the, or I met this woman I was on a panel with in the UK who started a, it was like a tool set for influencers and it helps them figure out like what brands to reach out to and and a few other things. And it's like, she signed up, she started it and she's like, yeah, she launched it in March. And I was like, oh, how many subscribers do you have? She's like, oh, 40,000. I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. She has yeah. free, she, well, she had free and paid. I was like, oh, that's cool. Okay, yeah. I was like, well, how many of them are paid? She's like, oh, 20,000. I was like, wow. And she's charging 15 pounds a month, right? So say, call it $20 a month. So I'm like, holy shit, this like one woman band is doing $5 million in recurring revenue. If this was like a SaaS business, this would get valued at like 25 to $30 million. Yeah. And like she'd launched it in March. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> like, that's wild. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's another company called Planoly that basically is just, it's just like a planning app for posting your Instagram photos. They're in like 10 to $12 million in revenue. They have like a 15 person team. It's crazy. And again, that's a business that's going to get valued at, you know, 50 to a hundred million dollars. And so, you know, most people have no awareness that there are 50,000, a hundred thousand, 200,000 or more of these people that are trying to do their jobs every day. They're going to be willing to pay 20 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a month to like help you do their job better. Um, yeah, that's that's wild. I mean, yeah, the the amount of choices you have as a creator now, and the amount of platforms that you can go on, and just how different the platforms are to a certain extent as well. I mean, it's it's um, um, I really feel for those OG YouTubers that are like trying to adapt to TikTok and like you know, yeah, totally, it's tough. <laughs> it's Again, I mean, they like, benefited. It's, really hard. it's like the or sorry, go ahead. No, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they benefit from being really early on, right? They didn't have to be the best. They were just the earliest. They yeah. had that first mover advantage. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see it with like TikTok, like the first few people on there got really big, really fast. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. I don't feel too bad for them. I think they did all right. But yeah, there's <laughs> yeah, definitely they're more they're competition they're today for sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this kind of in-house, out-of-house thing, right? So I know that for us, Almost everybody that we work with is an in-house brand, right? Almost all marketing's done in-house, but about half of them do work with agencies. And I know you've probably got a soft spot in your heart for agencies. Do you guys work with them at all? If you do, like what, what, in what ways do you work with them? Or is it pretty much all in-house? 
I would say about 80% of our work is done in-house now, you know, as a brand. Um, You know, we use agency for particularly, you know, big moments or, you know, big campaigns that we want to do. You know, definitely if we want to put on a big trip, you know, we'll work on, you know, with an agency or uh, a big product launch. Sometimes we'll work with them for some stunt kind of experiential activations. But by and large, they're really to augment the team and skill sets we don't have, you know, as much right mm-hmm. now. Um, less so on the, the creation of the day-to-day marketing that we do on a regular basis. And um, But, you know, I, I, as I've been in this job for about seven years now, I'm starting to understand just how helpful it is to have a different perspective come into your business sometimes, right? You know, you can mm-hmm. get in a rut you know, as a, uh, uh, as a brand and go back to the same tropes that you've known all the time or dismiss the same ideas because they didn't work in the past. But bringing in a fresh perspective, I think is actually really powerful. So um, we're going to, you know, try to find a better balance of that to, to use them in strategic moments. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's, uh, I mean, for us, I think when we first got into the space of influencer marketing, you know, if it was very much like the, the, the mantra was pay to play, right? Like you go yeah. out, you pay people to talk about you, you know, you basically do a media buy and we came in and we're like, I don't think this is how it works guys. Like, I think this is a little, a little bit more based on relationships and organic content. And yes, you know, paid relationships are a component of this, but it's, you know, it's, it's a part of the mix and it's actually not the biggest part of the mix. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think getting a fresh set of eyes is, is nice. Um, I mean, in terms of like influencer management, yeah, we never, except for China, which sometimes you have to do, you know, for certain classic creators, um, go through an agency. By and large, we don't use um, um, uh, agencies to help us with with that part of the business. Yeah. So so talk to me about some of these big activations. Um, So, you know, you guys have done some big ones in the past. I mean, a lot of it's the day-to-day work. Like, I think that's actually what's most important is just the day-to-day, like sending a message, getting a cocktail, asking for their feedback on a product, whatever. But you guys have done some really big ones too. Um, Have you had any that have gone better than others or, you know, ones that didn't go particularly well? They're like, ooh, that was... We learned a lot from that one. <laughs> yeah, what, uh, yeah, talk to you about those yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so many. I mean, I have to think back because we haven't done a big activation, you know, for the past yeah. several months. But, you know, before lockdown, you know, I think there are a couple of things that were really starting to gain traction. And, like, one set I would say is just focusing on, on like, the, the next generation and the rising class of creators. Like, so our mm-hmm. Middle East team had this one event where they threw a slumber party. And it was for creators 16 and under, right? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so like really young. So we, you know, we work with their parents, we work with everything. And these were creators that were um, big in their own way. uh, But just, you know, the amount of engagement that they got from their audience was so high, right? You know, I mean, just, you know, the people who were following them were just really passionate about them. And you think about it, it's like, why are they more passionate than like, you know, someone who, who who's more mature in their career? And it's because when you're younger, you just, you know, your world, it's smaller. It collapses, right? You can like <laughs> yeah. hyper-focus totally. on a particular thing. And as you get bigger, you're thinking about your job, you're thinking about other things. And just your ability to actually spend time and engage with, you know, the entertainment that you have becomes less and less. So, mm-hmm. you know, working with these young creators and throwing the summer party, I mean, it gave us results that just blew our minds in terms of engagement, in terms of, you know, interest. And even though their fans themselves were somewhat younger, I mean, it is, it's, you know, you, you can't underestimate the power of, you know, your parents' purses sometimes too, right? So, I mean, it's, um, you know, these young kids that are seeing this, getting money from their parents, you know, to make purchases uh, for the brand. I mean, it really works. So I'd say that one really focusing on the next generation worked really well for us. And then the other um, activation that I was particularly proud of is our U.S. team did this campaign last year for for Cheek Squad, which is like a palette of, of, of blushes that we had, and their idea behind it was really um, was really um, connecting with influencers, using them to launch the product, but then also giving them an opportunity to give back to their. Um, uh, to to not just not to the community, but actually to the person who had the biggest impact on their life. So we they went back mm. to their schools and they gave out you know these five thousand dollar checks to go on vacation you know uh, for their favorite teacher and you know give them some other financial you know um, aid you know for for their classes and it was 
so amazing, Connor. It was all the feels, you know, in terms of, you yeah. know, giving back, giving these influencers a platform to actually to make a difference and do good now, which is, I think, where a lot of them are, you know, have started to gravitate towards. It's not just entertainment, you know, with makeup, but like, how do I do more? you know, with mm-hmm, my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that really connected us in a deep way with, um, with the influencers and, and fans loved it too. So I, I would say those are some of the more exciting ones that we did recently. Um, the ones that fail, oh my God, there's so many. Um, <laughs> there's so many too, right? I mean, that, that's part and parcel with it too, right? Um, you know, I, you know I, um, I hate to pick on uh, anyone for doing this, but I'll say, you know, I think the work that we've done recently in, China in particular hasn't been as strong as it can be. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes we partner with um, influence, big influencers to do these live streams. You know, if you don't know about China, like <laughs> there's this whole phenomenon going on where influencers are getting on these live streams and selling product. And they are, and when I say that they're selling product, I mean, they're like moving product. Um, so like <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Austin Lee for double 11, I think he did over a billion RMB on his like five hour live stream that he had. I mean, it was staggering the amount of money these people are moving through. So we did it as well as a brand. It helped us out some, you know, um, um, but in terms of like long-term brand equity, I'd say like, there wasn't that much, you know, it was, it was just so transactional. You were basically like a one minute spot in a five hour long QVC commercial. So, yeah. um, so, you know, lesson learned, right. I mean, it definitely helped generate some sales, but I don't know if it did a lot for brand equity. What, so why talk to me a little bit about that? Cause I, for me, again, my visibility in China is minimal and I think a lot of people's are. What is the motivation behind, is it just like basically a replacement for QVC and there's just a certain set of people that like QVC or is there (laughs) something about the way that um, people in China shop that makes them prefer this kind of online, you know, or this, uh, this live stream selling model, or is it more about supporting the person? Cause they know, Hey, I know this person's going to make some money and I love this person. I want to support them or all of those. What's, what are the, what are the contributing factors? I think a big one is deals. So the way these kind of live streams started was, you know, the brand would work with the influencer and they'd give them a special access to early release of a product or, you know, a special deal and a discount. So that's probably first and foremost why people shop so much on there, because it is a good deal, you know, for them. Um, And and that's important. Um, Other other than that, too, I think also it's... um, uh, it's the, the personalities themselves that are so engaging, right? You know, you watch Austin, you watch Wei Ya, you watch some of these these big people, and they're, if you know Chinese, they're like, they're cracking jokes throughout the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. it's just kind of a, a form of entertainment. It's it's unlike QVC in where they try to keep it lighthearted on QVC and HSM, but like Austin is just deadpan, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, uh, being funny, um, bringing in his assistant when he can and his dog, and it's it's just a whole deal. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, right? Like, like the 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 number I heard the other day that was crazy, and I don't, I'm gonna misquote the number, but it was like there are two hundred thousand YouTube channels that have over a million subscribers, right? wow. and there are six hundred and fifty TV stations in the U.S. Right? So, like, you're competing, right? That's just infinite creativity, right? You got two hundred thousand different creative people trying to entertain their audience and make money versus 650. And it's like QVC is just one channel. And it's like, imagine picking like one channel at random amongst the live streamers (laughs) in China. I bet it'd probably be a pretty crappy channel. It wouldn't be that interesting. But like if you're competing against 10,000 channels, of course you're going to lose or you're very likely to lose. Um, So let's, so obviously I would imagine that relationship was like a paid relationship, right? Or at least it was a paid activation um, how do you guys think about paid activations? Like what are your, what's your philosophy when it comes to working with influencers in a, in a paid capacity? I mean, our philosophy has always been try not to pay for as long as we can, <laughs> you know, and leverage, yeah, yeah. you know, the equity of the, the brand goodwill, you know, I mean, payment, if you can consider, you know, product seeding as payment. Yeah, we do that quite a bit. Um, you know, in terms of giving them access, um, but actual like payment to produce content or payment, you know, to, to say something for us, we reserve it um, at the last minute when there's no other option um, mm-hmm. um, for um, big events. And then also we use it a lot, um, Connor, to to really um, signal um, 
um, trust how much we want to partner long-term with a creator to help them with their career, right? I mean, there's a point, you know, when you're up and coming where you're doing some small brand deals or, you know, you're, you're making a name for yourself, but, you know, for a, a bigger brand to come in and pay you a bunch of money to do a spot or, you know, be in a year-long campaign, that's like a, um, a, a, um, a loyalty thing, you know, that we, uh-huh. we consider as, you know, um, this, we want to be one of the first brands that really take you seriously as a creator. Um, because we want to build that long-term equity and we think you're going to rise, you know, um, to the top. So we use payments in that, in that regard too. Yeah, that makes sense. So typically structured around long-term relationships, you try to be as organic as you can tan. Oh my God. For as long as we can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of, so let's talk a little bit about kind of the marching orders that you give to troops, right? So uh, what I mean by that is, you know, in one of the conversations we had about Jean-Andre, who's your former CEO, who you had, I think, a lot of respect for, you know, you you cited that focus was one of the things that he was best at. Yeah. Um, and for him, the focus at the time was browse, browse, browse. Like that was it. Browse are it. That's all we're going to talk about. Um, and, and it sounds like that's still the marching orders, but what are some of the things that you guys are focused on? Like what, what are the things that are most important for you guys right now? Well, I, it's still browse. I mean, I have to say, I mean, this is going to be our strategy for the next several years, um, and going until we reach the worldwide domination that we want, you know, okay. uh, as a brand, uh, because I mean, it's, it really is once you can own a category to an extent as a brand, it gives you that um, uh, anchor in a consumer's mind. So you're not just known for your brand image, your fun or your colors or something, but you're known for a product class. It just really helps with recall, you know, and spontaneous mm-hmm. awareness, you know, and um, that's as a marketer, that's so valuable to have. Um, so when people think about browse, they think about benefits. So we're going to keep talking about it until um, not everyone in the world is, is equating us to browse. Um, but, you know, in terms of like other objectives that we have, obviously, you know, um, um, the change in consumer habits, you know, with um, COVID and this next generation of Gen Z coming in is a big focus of ours right now. I, I really think we're looking at a lot of fundamental ways, you know, that, you know, customers are going to change. Um, in terms of their path to purchase. So understanding that and really nailing, you know, how we appear to Gen Z, how we, you know, make shopping as easy and frictionless as we can um, um, is is a huge focus of ours right now. I mean, I cannot stand a complicated checkout process. Oh my God, right? right. I, I like throw my phone against the wall. I'll just refuse. I'll just stop. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I don't care what it is. I don't care how important it is. Like, I'm not going to do it. And it's like, usually if it's really important, my like wife will pick it up and be like, okay, I'll do it. But it's like, I just, it's, uh, it's funny how impatient we've become over time. Cause I'm sure 10 years ago, it was even way harder, you know, but like, now I'm like, oh, it doesn't have Apple pay. I'm not even going to buy it. <laughs> I know. Right. I mean, the first time you use Apple pay online, you're like, holy shit. Why isn't everything like Apple pay? I mean, it's like. It, it was, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. I, in, in your comment about like, you know, being more impatient, there's this great quote from, I forgot the guy's name, Ben something. He runs Google Labs. And he was like, you know, it, because everyone is saying, you know, short video, short video, short videos, you know, that's kind of where it's going. And he was like, it's not about short videos. It's the fact that people's um, ability to discern quality content or quality interaction time has greatly reduced. So you just know as a person now, if you want to spend time with something after the first couple seconds, right? And if mm-hmm, you want to mm-hmm. spend time with it, you'll like sit with it. You'll like binge watch a whole Netflix show, right? <laughs> and literally spend hours and hours watching long form content if it's interesting enough for you. But if it's not, and you know, it, it's, it's just too much trouble for you, you just skip it. And, you know, I think that's, that's, that, I think he was spot on. So we're not like trying to create shorter videos or, you know, do that sort of stuff. We're just trying to make that first react, you know, initial interaction with the brand as enjoyable and easy as possible. That's super interesting. And it's consistent with, I mean, cause you know, we're content producers on our side too, right? We, we create a lot of content. And one of the things that we'll look at for these videos in particular and these podcasts um, cause you can't get this kind of granularity at the podcast level. You can get it on a YouTube video. Yeah. It's like what percentage of people drop off in the first minute, right? The first two minutes and like optimizing for that a little bit. So it's like, how do we like, okay, 
I need to make sure that my intro is no more than 10 seconds and it instantly grabs your attention and that we go into something that's very like that, that, that catches really your eye. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, um, and again, we're only, I mean, we're like 15 episodes into this and we plan on doing, you know, 1500. Yeah. So like it's, uh, it's a process, but it, it's, I, I'm a hundred percent aligned with that. Super, yeah. super smart. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that's our focus is trying to, you know, nail that initial interaction with you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about just cause you have a purview, like you see more digital tools than probably most people will ever see in their lifetimes. <laughs> I'm sure you probably don't get any cold calls as well to try and sell you tools either. Um, I, I, I had, I had the CMO of, uh, topics, which it's like a three or four brand portfolio in, in the summit last week. And she's like, I just, I can't, I can't do anything. She's like, now they're sending me text messages. It's like, it's out of control. <laughs> so, you know, so you've obviously, so you've seen them all. What are, and we'll throw Tribe out the window. We'll just assume that you're recommending Tribe. So out of all the other tools, <laughs> what are some of the things that you, uh, that you really dig that you're like, hey, you guys should try this out. Like, this is a cool, cool solution. I'm going to make some recommendations, but I'll caveat it with that. You need the teams to actually use these tools, right? I mean, like one of the big um, um, strategies that I've tried to implement here at, you know, on our team is we partner with vendors that give us access to the underlying data, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, partners that just black box everything and just give you one number and like, you know, and pass it off as, you know, um, their recommendation are nice for specific circumstances, but we really feel like, you know, partnering with people who are, you can get the underlying data actually, and then having analysts on your team to actually look at that, to understand what's working, what's not working, where's the trend going has given us a competitive advantage. So, um, so you need analysts in order to, to use these tools by and large. And, um, you need to have that mindset as a brand because I want to, you know, do better from the data insights that I have. So tribe is a huge part, you know, of our, of our, um, our plans to do this. Um, I love the, the data that you guys provide. Another one that we use is a company called tubular insights. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they are a video measurement platform. Um, mostly yep. used by publishers, but you know, the amount of videos that they're indexing is staggering. And the amount of metadata they have on each video, you know, 6 billion plus videos right now in their wow. database. <laughs> um, <That's a> lot. <laughs> it's, the research opportunities that you have and, you know, and the ability just to uh, mine that for insights on like what is working, what is not working is phenomenal. So um, we use them um, quite a bit um, as a partner. Um, and then in influencer management also, um, you know, throughout the world, you know, if you're in China, um, you know, I think Parklu is a great partner uh, in yep. terms to, you know, to get the insights on, on, on all those networks there because by and large they're, they're very closed and understanding what's going on on Red or you know, all these other platforms is, or doing is, is difficult. So you need a partner there. Yeah, that's, uh, I like it. I've, I mean, I've heard of both, obviously, yeah. we know Kim at Park Lou. Yep. I've met some of the team at Tubular, uh-huh. but yeah, 6 billion videos is no joke. Um, sounds like a lot of, I don't know how much they're storing there, but it could be significant in terms of storage costs. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, you know how much it is, right? To, to index and store all this stuff. And it's just, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's wild. I mean, that's the thing that I think about is just that people have such a hard time understanding the scale <laughs> that like, let's put tubular aside, just that like you deal with, right? Like there's going to be in the data that we track a couple hundred thousand pieces of influencer content created about benefit just in the U S yeah. let alone globally. So you're looking at almost a thousand pieces of content a day. Um, and that's just influencer content. That's not consumer content. Like consumer content's probably 10x that. And so, you know, how do you, and, and the reality is that each one of those times a consumer talks about benefit, like there's something there, right? Like for them to go out and proactively talk about a brand, like that's because they really care about the brand in some way, shape or form. And I think people just don't, they don't necessarily take that seriously, right? Like, you know, um, and, and they, or they underinvest in it, I should say, in the teams to actually kind of manage that stuff in a, in a reasonable way. So, um, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's as well. a marketer, you know, I mean, you live and die by how well, you know, your customers and, you know, we're yeah. given a gift right now, you know, I mean, 
privacy aside and creepiness aside, there's just so much you know about customers yeah. and like what they're talking about and um, what they think about the brand. And if you're not using it, you're just you're um, you're missing out. Yeah, totally. All right, well, let's get to a couple end of the show fun questions. Okay. Uh, to- Toto doesn't know what these are, so we'll see uh, see what he answers with. So you've been all over the world. Uh, what is the oddest meal you've had while traveling? And it can be for benefit or not for benefit. Oddest meal that I've had for traveling? Uh, it would have to be in, in, in China. Um, you know, definitely yeah. I've been at... Um, uh, meals in China where I actually don't quite know what I'm eating. Um, you know, they're in these like big settings. There'll be, you know, um, uh, different, um, dishes put in front of you. And it's like all these top executives around there and there, um, and you're trying this food and it's just like this kind of gelatinous bony sort of thing. And you're like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll just go, I'll just roll with it. So that was probably in China. I've probably had the, the, the weirdest, um, meals. Although, most recently, right before um, lockdown happened, I took a trip to the Middle East and I got to try um, camel's milk for the first time. Interesting. <laughs> How was that? It was strongly flavored, more strongly flavored. It wasn't just like yeah, regular milk. Yeah. It was just like, um, uh, it's, it's hard to describe. You got to try it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I love trying new stuff. Yeah. It's uh, like you said, it's kind of like what we were talking about before where you've had these cultures that have grown totally independently from the one that you've grown up in. Yeah. And it's just like totally new things. It's yeah, fun. yeah. Uh, okay. So if you had to recommend one book for everybody that's listening to this podcast, which again would be people that are, you know, aspiring marketers, aspiring influencer managers, as well as more senior folks as well. You know, what's a, what's a book that you really think uh, folks should read? Oh my gosh. Could be career advice. Could be a blog. Doesn't actually have to be a book. Something that you think is like a really good resource for them that you'd be like, I always think back on this book or this is a book. If I had to recommend one to somebody on my team, this is the one I would recommend. Blog, book, newsletter, whatever. You know, probably the, uh, it wouldn't be a book because I've read some business books in the past and it's not really my genre, you know, I I don't keep up with that as much. But one of the people I go back to repeatedly just because i think he's so damn smart is this guy named ben evans who works um at andreessen horowitz he's like um one of their principal partners kind of um and um he his insights into like where the internet is headed like macro um um in the future and the analogies he draws from like industries and other things i think is just so sharp and so perspective and so um, intelligent. I always go back to him um, um, when I'm looking for some inspiration. So Ben Evans. There you go. I mean, I know Andreessen Horowitz well, and I, uh, I've read some of uh, uh, Ben Horowitz's books, yeah. but I'll have to check out Ben Evans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, man. Well, I think that's it. I oh really appreciate you taking the time out. That flew, flew by. by. That was so easy. <laughs> was so easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. And so I really appreciate it. I know people are going to learn a lot from this episode and, um, and learn a lot from you. And, uh, thanks again. Uh, you've always been a friend to tribe and, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you on the other side. All right. Thanks so much. Right. Thank you everyone. Bye. Bye. Hit subscribe now earned by tribe dynamics, tribe dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at TribeDynamics.com. TribeDynamics.com.